All right, again, John chapter 3 this morning. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at encounters with Jesus that we see uh, throughout the Scripture. And we see different encounters all throughout, and we notice something when we see those encounters, and that is that when you have an encounter with Jesus, something changes. There's something different after you have an encounter with Jesus. For some, it was great. For some that refused him and turned on him, that was not such a great thing. But today, we're going to look at an encounter with Jesus with a religious leader. And the religious leader's name is Nicodemus. Maybe you've heard that name before, but we see the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But as we begin this morning, I want us to consider this question. Is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? Now, I want you to be honest with me this morning. Have you ever had a season of your life, a stage of your life, where you asked that question, is there more to life than this? Raise your hand. All right, more of you, the first service, there was absolutely nobody. All right, so it was just me. So at least now I got somebody that kind of understands. But I want us to consider for a moment the stages of life that we go through. The first stage of life is when we are born and those first few years of growing. In that stage of life, we have somebody that's taking complete care of us. We depend on them for everything. And as we continue to grow, we begin to learn a few things about life. But at that stage of life, we're probably not asking, is there more to life than this? Because life is pretty good. We got somebody that all we got to do is cry a little bit. They'll feed us. Uh, they take care of us. They do all kinds of things. But then as we get a little bit older, there's something that changes, something that happens and this something has baffled scientists, it has baffled psychologists, it has baffled parents, it has baffled all kinds of people over the years, and that is that child grows and becomes a teenager, and then overnight, this change happens where all of a sudden, they have life all figured out. And they can't understand why their parents haven't figured it out. And why their parents are holding them back from doing life because they have it all figured out, right? And so they march into adulthood with a confidence. I've got this. I can do this. Life, it's easy. I've got it all figured out. And I will show my parents. But then they get into that adulthood stage. And it's not too long that they're in that adulthood stage. And you begin to hear them make statements like, adulting is not anything like I thought it would be. They start to realize that maybe, just maybe, my parents might have been right on a few things that they were trying to teach me. Yeah, it happens. And it comes and they go through this stage of life. But in this stage of life, when they're figuring out this adulting thing is not everything like I thought it was going to be, I don't have it all figured out like I once thought I did, that maybe they begin to question, is there more to life than this? Well, then the next stage of life, we move into our careers and we begin our families and everything seems to be going good. We're, we're enjoying the successes of our hard work. And then every now and then something difficult will happen in life, something that'll make us pause. And before you know it, we end up in a midlife crisis. And that's when we begin to think, is there more to life than this? That's when the Corvettes are bought and, the, you know, the different toys that we can now afford that we couldn't afford when we were earlier, thinking that there's more to life. There's something else that I'm missing in life, only to find out that all those things that we thought might 
bring some satisfaction to our life to show us that there's more don't last very long. Then we move into what I would call that final stage, the, the stage of retirement, and we're moving into our older years. And sometimes during that stage of life, we begin to wonder, well, what is my purpose in life at this stage? What is my meaning in life at this stage? And we can question, is there more to life than this? And I believe as we go through the different stages of life, we do come to those times where we will question, is there more to life than this? Is there more than what we're seeing right here and now? And I've got good news for you today. Yes, there is more to life than this, just this. And that's what Nicodemus is going to see in the story today. Now, keep in mind, I don't know that Nicodemus is coming to Jesus asking him if there's more to life than this. But he's going to realize through his encounter with Jesus that there is much more to life than this. Because what Jesus is going to talk about in this passage today is not our life here and now, but it is the eternal life that is to come. And I'll throw this out now, and I'll probably throw it out again later. You need to understand that we weren't created just for this life here. We were created for eternal life. And eternal life is a reality for all of us. And so as we look at our passage today, I want us to keep that in mind. We're going to look at John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and we will read down through 21. It says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. 
But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for this time of studying your word together. And God, I pray that right now we would just let our thoughts be cleared and our, our minds be ready for what you have for us. God, today may you speak to each one of our hearts in only the way that you can. And may we be receptive to your spirit as you work in this place. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. So in this story, we have this man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, I believe, is at a stage of certainty, if you would, in his life. He is at that stage where he is doing his work. He knows what it is that he's supposed to be doing, and he is doing that, and he is enjoying the successes of his hard work. Notice that it says that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. The, the Pharisees were an influential religious sect. The Pharisees knew and they believed the Old Testament. They believed the laws of the Old Testament. They knew the laws of the Old Testament. But the Pharisees didn't just stop there. They also created some of their own laws along the way that were made out of tradition and different things. And so they had this whole list of laws and traditions that they followed in their life. And they would teach those to others. And they would also judge others who did not follow those like they thought that they should. So it's this religious sect out there that Nicodemus is a part of. And he's not just a part of this religious sect, the Pharisees, but he is also a leader of the Pharisees. He has risen up. He is a, a teacher of the Pharisees. He was also a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a Jewish ruling council. He was in the stage of his life probably where everything is going great and he has kind of arrived. He's kind of got this stuff figured out. And we are told in this passage that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now, there's been a lot of discussion over the years. Why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? Some believe that Nicodemus probably came to Jesus at night because he didn't want the other Pharisees to see him having a conversation with Jesus. Some say that he came to Jesus at night because, you know, sometimes it's at night when we finally sit still long enough that God is able to convict us of the things he wants us to see and know. So he went to Jesus because of that. But I think if you read through this passage, even though John doesn't clearly tell us why he came at night, I, I believe there may be another reason why he came at night. If you notice what he says in verse 2, he comes to Jesus and he says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Again, Nicodemus is a, a teacher. Nicodemus wants to come to Jesus and see what this stuff is all about. We recognize that there's something special about what you've got going on. And it says that we, he doesn't say that I see this. He says we see this. Who are the we? Well, I believe that the we are the other Pharisees, the ones that are on the Sanhedrin court with him, people that he's around. There's talk going around among these religious folks that Jesus is here and Jesus is doing great things. And apparently he has come from God uh, to, to show us and to teach us that God has sent him here. So in Nicodemus's mind, it very well could be that I need to find out more who this guy is. So I want to go and I want to see Jesus when no one else is around. If he goes at night, the crowds that have been following Jesus would have gone home. 
And so he might have plenty of time where he can sit down and have a conversation with Jesus, rabbi to rabbi. Obviously, God has sent you to teach us something. What is it that you need to teach us? What is it that I need to know? Is there other things that we need to add to our list of rules and our list of laws that we don't understand yet that you want to teach us? And he comes to Jesus and he wants to have this time with Jesus. Again, teacher to teacher, rabbi to rabbi. But when you think about this, you you realize that Nicodemus had an inadequate comprehension of who Jesus is. Because you see, Jesus is not on the same level as Nicodemus. Jesus is not on the same level of any of the Pharisees or any of the teachers of the law. Jesus is on a much higher level. So Nicodemus looking at him saying, you're a great teacher, you're, you're this rabbi. He doesn't understand, he doesn't comprehend who Jesus is at this point. And he doesn't realize that he himself is not even on the same level as Jesus. But what I find very interesting here is he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, we see all these things about you. And what I see in this passage, John doesn't say that Nicodemus asked Jesus any kind of question at all. Nicodemus doesn't ask Jesus, what is it going to take for me to get to heaven? How can I be in heaven for eternity? How can I experience this eternal life? That is not what he asked or that we see in this passage. But notice that as soon as he acknowledges Jesus as a great teacher and must be somebody that has come from God to show us these things, Jesus in verse 3 immediately jumps right in and he tells Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now at this moment, Nicodemus receives some bad news. So this morning in this message, I'm going to give you first the bad news, and then I'm going to give you the good news, and then I'm going to give you some application, how this applies to our life now, okay? So here's the bad news. Nicodemus, this great Pharisee, this great leader, this great ruler, This great man who knows the law and teaches the law and is able to follow the law and help others follow the law. This great religious leader who comes to Jesus and recognizes that there's something different about Jesus is immediately interrupted, if you would, with Jesus when Jesus looks at him and says, Nicodemus, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Now, I don't know what all was going through Nicodemus' mind at this point, but if you were in his shoes and if you were doing all the things that he was doing and you were this great religious leader and Jesus looked at you and he said, that's not enough. You're not good enough. What would be going through your mind? And so he's looking at Jesus. He's getting this word, you're not good enough. Now, here's the thing. The Pharisees would have believed that they would be in heaven Because they were descendants of Abraham. And that they would also receive special blessings from God because they were strict obeyers of the law. So they believed because of who they were in their descendants of Abraham that they would have a place in heaven. But Nicodemus is being told that Nicodemus, your heritage is not enough. But not only that, they were great followers of the law, so they would receive special blessings of God because they knew the Old Testament, they knew the law, they knew what God said. And Jesus says, in your religion, 
is not enough. So your heritage is not enough. Your family line is not good enough. And because you know the law and you study the law and you teach the law, that's not good enough. So Nicodemus is being told, you're not measuring up. That's not quite enough. So not only is this bad news for Nicodemus, but this is bad news for all of us as well. So we need to pay close attention to this. And we need to understand that we will not make it to heaven one day because we come from a good family. You may come from the best family that's out there. You may have the best family line. And maybe they've been the most religious family that this world has ever seen. Maybe everything that they have done has been following God's law and everything that we read in Scripture. And they have done well at that. And they have trained you well. But your heritage will never get you into God's kingdom. Your heritage cannot do it. And maybe today you're thinking, well, I, I do all these great things. I'm very religious. I'm at church every time the doors are open and sometimes even when they're not. I just come and sit in the parking lot. I just love being here that much. I am the most religious person I know. I read my Bible every day. I get up every morning and I, and I have this ritual that I do every day with God. And you may be a great Bible teacher as I'm sure Nicodemus was. And you may think that you have it all figured out, but your religion will never be enough to get you into God's kingdom. It won't work. And unfortunately, many people try that. If I just do this, if I just do this, if I just do this, then I'll be okay. But Jesus makes it very clear in this passage as he's talking to this man, Nicodemus. And he said, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again. You see, that's what it takes, being born again. Now, Nicodemus, he's a very smart guy, so he knows that there's no way for someone to go back into their mother's womb and be born again. But he asked Jesus the question, and I don't, I don't think it's a crazy question here. I think it's a very legitimate question with what Jesus is telling him. He said, how, how can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again. And Jesus responds. And he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says water and the spirit? Again, this has brought up a lot of conversation over the years. And some people will take you down the path and say that when he talks about water and the spirit, that means that you have to be baptized to be born again. And I want to tell you that that's just not true. When you look through scripture, and there's a lot of passages in scripture that you can go to that will show you that you don't have to be baptized to be born again. But I want to tell you, baptism is very important. Jesus commands us to be baptized, but that baptism is the outward expression of what God has done to us internally when we've been born again. And so it's not talking about baptism, but if we just want to stick with this passage today, I believe it is obvious that Jesus isn't talking about water baptism here. Because he goes on in verse 6 and he says, Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to the spiritual life. So Jesus says you must be born again, and that being born again, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. And then when he goes on and he talks about the humans, I believe he's making it clear that that water birth is human birth. Human birth. 
So let me ask you this. How many of you have been born physically? It's a trick question, okay? Everybody ought to be raising your hand. Want to make sure you're awake and you're with me. If you are here today, I don't care what the world is teaching now. If you are here today, if you are alive today, at some point in time, you were born physically, okay? That's the physical birth. And Jesus says you, you have to be born physically. We've got that part covered, right? But he says it doesn't stop there. Now you have to be born of the Spirit. Here's an interesting thing. When I was born, I remember that day. I remember the day I came into this world. Anybody else remember that day? I know you're looking at me like you're crazy. You don't remember. I remember it. I was there. I was helping the doctor with the birth. I was comforting my mother. I was doing all these great things on the day I was born. I was participating. I was doing my part. Now, you laugh because you know that is not true whatsoever. Because I had nothing to do with my physical birth. And here's the good news. We have nothing to do with our spiritual birth. It is a gift from God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to say in the next few words that as the wind blows, you can't see where the wind is blowing. Now, here in the panhandle, we can see which direction it's blowing because of everything that's blowing with it. But we don't see the wind. But we know that the wind is at work. The wind is doing its thing. And in the same way, the Spirit is at work, drawing us to God and bringing us to that point of salvation. We don't see it, but we know it because God is moving. So Jesus points out to Nicodemus that you need to be born again. And you need to be born of water physically. You need to be born again spiritually. And the spiritual part is the work of God. Nicodemus, the bad news, you don't measure up. The bad news is in all your good works and all the good deeds that you are doing, you are not good enough to see the kingdom of God. You are not good enough to make it to heaven one day. And you cannot see the spirit of God without be or the kingdom of God without being born again. And so Jesus doesn't stop there because at this point, this could still be a little bit muddy for us, a little bit confusing. How does this work? How does all this work? How do we know if we're born again? How can a man be born again? And so Jesus goes through a couple of illustrations here that I want us to point out. And as I point these out, I want you to remember Nicodemus knew the law. He knew the Old Testament. And so Jesus is going to go back to some Old Testament things that Nicodemus would have known. He would have understood what Jesus was talking about here. So Jesus is bringing Nicodemus to a point of things that he would already know to help him understand the things that he needs to learn. And the same is true for us today. So notice first, Jesus in verse 13 says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And I want you to notice the words there, the Son of Man. The Son of Man, who is he talking about? Who is the Son of Man? Well, in Daniel chapter 7, in verse 13, Daniel has a vision. All through chapter 7, we studied this in our Tuesday night men's group, uh, that Daniel has this vision. And in this vision, in verse 13, he says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and tongue would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Who was it that Daniel saw in this vision? He saw one that looks like a son of man. And the one that he saw in this vision was the coming Messiah. And the ones that knew the Old Testament knew that there was a Messiah that was coming. And notice what he says. He says, the Son of Man has come. He has come. He has come down from heaven. He says, no one's gone up to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So what Jesus is letting Nicodemus know is that the Messiah that you know is coming, he has come. Now, I don't know why Jesus stopped there because if it was me, I would have said, and Nicodemus, I'm right in front of you. I am here. I am that Messiah, but Jesus doesn't go there with him. He says, the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Not that he is coming, not that he will come someday, but he has come. And he uses a passage that Nicodemus probably knew very well, and he understood. And so he would have known what Jesus was saying. And then he goes on in verse 14, and he says, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So Jesus is letting him know the Son of Man has come, and the Son of Man has just not come, but one day the Son of Man will be lifted up just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the wilderness. Well, he's talking about the story in Numbers 21. If you go back and look at Numbers 21, you'll see the Israelites as they are out in the wilderness. You know, they're wandering in the wilderness, and God has been providing for them. He has given them manna from heaven. They don't even have to cook. I mean, God is just providing everything for them, but they're not satisfied. They want more. They want something different. And so they began to grumble against God and Moses. And because of their grumbling, God sends poisonous snakes amongst them. And these poisonous snakes would bite them, and the venom of the snakes would kill them. So people are dying. So the people come to the conclusion, the realization that this is happening because we have sinned against God. And so they go to Moses and they say, you've got to help us. You've got to help us out. Uh, Our people are dying. We don't want to die from these snakes. And so God tells Moses to make a replica of these venomous snakes and to put it on a pole. And so Moses makes this bronze replica of these snakes. He puts it on a pole. And when someone was bit by a snake, the pole was lifted up. And if they were to look up at that snake on the pole, they would be healed and they would not die from that venom. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as the snake was on the pole and lifted up and the people could look up and they could be cleansed from that venom, so the Son of Man must come and be lifted up. For the same reason. And here's the reality. We have all been bitten by Satan's venom. And we have that venom inside of us because of sin that has entered into the world. And so Jesus is making it clear that the Son of Man must be lifted up. And those that have this venom, that have been bitten by these snakes, that have this venom, can look up and they will be healed. And that is great news for us today. That because of sin that has entered into our life, death has entered in. 
But Jesus came to pay the price of that sin, to die in our place, to die for us. And all we have to do is to look up to him, look at him and to receive him. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 15. He says, uh, so that everyone who believes in him would have eternal life. There's a key word in that verse. And that key word is the word believes. The good news is this. Everyone who believes in him, everyone who looks at him and trusts in him, everyone. Who is everyone? Say it again. It's everyone. That's all of us. That's you, that's me, that's everyone who has ever lived, ever will live. If they will turn to Jesus, if they will look to Jesus, then they can have this eternal life. They can be born again. Jesus goes on in verse 16, one of the most quoted verses probably out of Scripture, one that we probably most of us know. We learn it as little children. It says, for this is how God loved the world he gave his only one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. What's the key word there? Believes. Everyone who believes. Now that word believe, a very important word, it's a uh, Greek word that means to trust in, to hope in, to believe in, is to place all of our faith in. To place our faith, to place our hope, to place our lives in Jesus' hands. It's not a, just a believing up here. It is a believing in here that says, I have sinned against God and I need a Savior. And that Savior has come and his name is Jesus. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus. And he wants Nicodemus to know, you must be born again. How are you born again? You must believe in the son that God sent. And notice what it says in 16. This is not an ordinary son. This is God's one and only son. Nicodemus saw that there was something special about Jesus. He was a good teacher. He did great works. But what he didn't realize that this was the one and only son of God, that God loved us so much. Listen, that is great news for us today, for every one of us. You need to understand God loves you. God loves you. Going into verse 17, he says, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world through him could experience this new birth, this eternal life that is to come. God loves you, and God's motivation for sending his son was his wonderful love for each and every one of us. You cannot question God's love when you look at what God did for us when he was willing to give up his one and only son to take our place, the death that we deserve to die for us because we have rebelled against God, because we have sinned against God. But God says, I love you this much. I will send my one and only son, and he will take your punishment. He will take that venom for you. He will die your death so that your relationship with me can be restored. That is love. That is true love. 
And I don't know where you're at in your life today, but maybe you need to hear that today. God loves you. I don't care what the rest of the world does or says, God loves you. And he loves you right where you are, just the way you are. Notice that Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus, in order to be born again, you need to go, you need to clean up your life, you need to get everything straightened out, you need to make sure there's no sin there, you need to get everything in perfect order, and then you come to God and God will look at you and say, yeah, you're clean enough, I love you. That's not what God does. God takes us right where we are, accepts us just how we are, but thank God he doesn't leave us where we were. So Nicodemus, you're not good enough. Nicodemus, you don't measure up. Nicodemus, you do all these great things and that's all good, but that's not good enough. And that's not going to get you into God's kingdom. But through these words, we see Jesus saying, but I will, if you'll trust in me, if you will believe in me, if you will follow me. That believing is following is surrendering our life to him. You know what that means when we surrender our life to him? That means that, that this life is no longer mine, but it is his. And it is he who lives in me and through me. So there's a couple of things I want us to see on an application today. The application is this. That first of all, we need to recognize the light. Jesus is letting Nicodemus know that the Son of Man has come. Notice what Jesus goes on to say again in, in verse 18. He says, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact that God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. So what is he saying? He said, the light has come into the world. But because people loved the darkness more than they loved the light, they did not go to the light. They did not recognize the light. And today we need to recognize the light. And the light is the one and only Son of God. His name is Jesus. Scripture tells us that there is no other name under heaven or above the earth or under the earth which man can be saved other than the name of Jesus. So we recognize that Jesus is God's one and only Son that came and he died for us died in my place because of the sin that was in my life. And we recognize that he truly is the son of God. That's where it begins. Recognizing the light. Recognizing who Jesus is. And then after we recognize the light, then we must receive the light. To receive the light is what we've been talking about is to believe in him. It is to place our faith and trust in him. Now, John doesn't tell us here what Nicodemus's response was to Jesus at this point. But we can assume as we look through Scripture that Jesus came, or Nicodemus came to that point where he trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, that he was born again. If you look in John chapter 7 towards the end of the passage there, you'll see that Nicodemus is briefly mentioned as one who was defending Jesus. And in John 19, we see that as they were burying Jesus, Nicodemus was there to help bury Jesus. He brought the perfumed uh, anointment to put on Jesus before he was buried and the tomb was sealed. So Nicodemus was there. So it's pretty obvious that at some point Nicodemus understood what Jesus said and he was born again. 
But the question for us today is not how did Nicodemus respond. It is how do we respond. What is my response? So has there been a point in time where you recognized that Jesus is the light from God? You have recognized that your sin has separated you from God and that you need a Savior and that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's our application. That is our responsibility. Your parents can't do it for you. Your religion can't do it for you. It is something you must do for yourself. Recognize the light and receive the light. I want you to consider this. Nicodemus was a good religious man, a hard worker following the law. And Jesus again tells him, Nicodemus, you're not good enough. Why is this? Well, in Romans 3.23, the scripture says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Just as we said, everyone that comes to Christ can be saved. All means that every one of us have fallen short. Every one of us need that salvation, that being born again. And then scripture goes on. And Romans to tell us in Romans 6, 23, that there's a price to be paid for that sin. There's a wage that has to be paid. And it says the wages of our sin is death. Death, that's what we deserve. But that's what Christ came to do for us. And then in Romans 5, 8, great news, great news. God showed his great love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for you and for me. So the bad news, we don't measure up. The good news, Christ measures up for us. And if we will place our faith and trust, if we will receive the light. Now again, some of us have done that many years ago. Some of us have done that recently. Some need to do it today. Wherever you're at, whatever stage of uh, that relationship with Christ that you're in, Today, would you just let him speak to your heart and whatever he shows you, would you respond to him? But if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've received this salvation, you've been born again, then the third application is this. We need to reflect the light. Reflect the light. John 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Good works will never get you to heaven, but our good works should be an overflow of our life of what Christ has done for us and that salvation that comes through him. And we should do those works with a joyful heart, knowing that as we follow him, as we do what he asks us to do, that his light is now shining through us so that the world around us can have an encounter with Jesus Christ as well. How well are we doing in that? What is God saying to you today? Is the Spirit of God speaking to your heart? Every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. As we go into a time of prayer this morning, I want you to take this time and just reflect on this passage today. Reflect on God's love for you. And if there's a decision today that God is leading you to that you are ready to make for him, then right where you're at today, you can make that decision. If you don't know him today as your Lord and Savior, and his spirit is drawing you unto himself, then you can say yes to him. You can be born again 
today by surrendering your life to him. Maybe today this is just a a good reminder of what God has already done in your life. A good reminder of that salvation that you have received, that new birth that you have received. Let that be just a, a joyful time in your heart as you spend this time with God. Whatever it is that God is saying, just reflect on him and be obedient to whatever way he leads you. Father, we thank you again today for your word. God, we thank you for salvation that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death on the cross that paid the price for our sin. God, we, we thank you that you were willing to give us your one and only son, that wonderful love that you have for us. And God, I pray for each person in this place today. God, I pray that Maybe there's just someone here that needed to hear those words again, that God loves you. God, would you just encourage them in their hearts today? God, I pray for anyone here that has not received that new birth, that God, today, they would open up their hearts to you, that God, today, they would receive you in their life. They would say yes to you. God, I pray that over the next few moments, as we reflect and we remember your wonderful love for us. And God, your spirit would just be free to speak to our hearts that we would seek you with everything that we have. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.